Hi guys, welcome to the Fintech Coffee Break. I'm your host, Isabel Castro, and today I shared my coffee break with Jahed Momand, co-founder and general partner of Cerulean Ventures. Cerulean Ventures is an investment firm that believes natural assets will unlock the next $50 trillion in growth while incentivizing the regeneration of Earth through new technologies with a particular focus on Web3 and blockchain. We delve deep into the world of carbon credits and the climate crisis, and why decentralized financial tools have the potential to make an impact where ESG investing is lacking. Hi, how are you doing? Good, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a few months, right? Yeah. A lot has happened. <laughs> yeah, a lot has happened. Um, so to start off, I want to know what gets you up in the morning. Oh, that's a good question. I could say my um, uh, my son maybe gets me up in the morning, yeah, literally. But uh, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, more figuratively, I do think um, just getting out there and meeting people who are trying to do something against the climate crisis with either open source tools or sometimes blockchains or what have you, uh, aggregating capital for really important causes, all that, that gets me up in the morning. I love it. Do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a good cause. I mean, it's one of the biggest issues right now, right? Um, why, when did you decide that this was what you wanted to focus your life on and kind of go into VC investment focus towards that? I think it was around the time, you know, I had, uh, I was working with a platform cooperative, a technology cooperative that was basically uh, working on uh, sharing the fruits of their labor with their cooperative platform with all the participants. And I just got to see really, you know, up close what happens when you share the upside with the people who are also doing the work. And I was just thinking like, how do you actually start a VC fund that does this? Because cooperatives are really powerful, but they have problems with financing and a bunch of others for very obvious reasons, which we won't get into. <laughs> but, uh, and then I started to look around and say like, who else is doing stuff like this? Who is experimenting in, um, you know, uh, incentive, stake, uh, stakeholder incentives, stakeholder governance, and getting people to participate in big things by innovating on governance. And a lot of that stuff is happening in open source software and uh, Web3 and what have you. And so for me, it ended up being an interesting, um, you know, sort of final focus for me in that the climate crisis is not only just a, you know, technical, it's not a technological one, it's a social and political one. And it's a problem of coordinating large and small bodies of people to do things. And so that ended up being the clincher for me. I was like, well, if people are building new tools that help people coordinate, uh, around issues, um, incentivize people, and try to drive toward collective outcomes, well, that seems like a good spot to focus uh, investment on. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, so is that the reason why you focused on Web3 technologies, because you already saw it there, or what was the move to Web3? I think it was definitely that, because it's the opportunity for to leave behind a little bit of the like financing baggage that cooperatives have, because uh, when you're talking about, you know, of course, this could change any day now, depending on how the United States, the SEC feels about it. But uh, basically, if you're able to look at and design incentive systems around uh, tokens and uh, accounting systems that basically say, 
you know, what do we value? How do we value it? How does it, how is it, how is the value exchanged with who under what policies, KYC, what have you? Um, That I thought was a really fascinating idea. And I saw a lot of people experimenting with that in both, I would say, you know, for this audience too, to be clear, like 98% bad experiments, (laughs) things Mm -hmm. that if you had just, if you had just taken a minute to read history, (laughs) the recent, even recent and, um, you could have avoided some really obvious mistakes, but at the same time, I think there's some really interesting new innovations happening with, uh, in incentivizing upside for hardcore nation problems. And so that was really what made me think, yeah, this looks like an interesting place because essentially not only on incentives, you can just do a lot with the data that's here. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the infrastructure people are building for data, about data provision. And then you look at climate, some of the climate problem is also a data problem. Like we literally don't know a lot of things about biodiversity, biodiversity collapse, ocean health, uh, air quality. We know these things on a global level. We don't, we, it's hard to know them on an exactly like pinpointed local level and then also be able to tie value and outcomes to that. And so I think that's really the problem with a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so Web3, I mean, I remember your talk that you were talking about Web3's ability to kind of focus on the smaller scale. Let's have a look at kind of like how that works, especially with regenerative regenerative finance. Sure. I think like, you know, where is it having the most impact? Where can you kind of see it? There's a number of places. There's a lot of activity in the carbon markets. And I think actually this is a great time to talk about it too, because, um, you know, like, (laughs) I'm not sure if your listeners in FinTech Nexus uh, might be paying attention to it or not, but just uh, the, the background, the context for this is that in the previous three to four weeks, there were a number of uh, investigative journalism pieces out of the site and out of The Guardian that were focused on the, um, you know, I don't know if you want to call it fraud necessarily. This is a really difficult measurement problem. It's an actually difficult scientific problem to say how much carbon did a tree capture. Um, but there, in some instances, there are some things that you could say are fraudulent. And so for us, you know, we looked at this and said, this is actually a great opportunity because whether or not it's fraud, there's a situation here where you can use new technologies, not just Web3. We're talking about things like, um, you know, new machine learning algorithms that can tie together, um, you know, soil data, Landsat data, flood risk, fire risk, and give you um, more of an accurate picture about what's going on the ground with a new nature-based solution, you know, plantation or what have you. And so for us, you know, looking at the car markets, there's a lot of really obvious impact here. And the impact is measured by how much net new supply of carbon credits that are, are being brought either on chain or to market. And how are, how are we building trust in those, right? How are we building monitoring technologies that can look at these things and incentivize actors on the ground to say, hey, are those trees still there, right? Like that's mm-hmm. an actual, it sounds funny, but that's an actual thing that happens with the greenwashing in this market. Mm-hmm. So people are like, hey, we planted a bunch of trees. Oh, no, we went back 11 years later and those trees are 90% of them are gone. Really? But the carbon's been sold. <laughs> it's wow. already been sold, sorry, right? So, yeah. Um, and so this is a real space where you can say, hey, what if instead of sending, you know, a few people a few times a year with some clipboards and measurements and ver- verificate verifiers, right? Verifies of standards. So a lot, this is a very complicated space, right? There are project developers, there are corporates who are purchasing things. 
there are standards owners, there are verifiers of those standards. It's very uh, fraught, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, zooming out here, if you can automate some of this stuff successfully and show it as a proof of concept, and then also for the purchaser say, hey, here's a here's a thing that represents the credit you purchased that with provenance that will be constantly updated with monitoring technologies to tell you if the thing happened or not. That's a pretty interesting space to be in, right? So I think that's where you can actually have a lot of impact by saying it's not just about the blockchain, it's about what you're putting on it and how and, and who are the parties that are in participating in that uh, new, um, I guess you could call it the generation of social facts, but with science, of course. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to kind of like scale back a bit, a lot of your focus is on the carbon market. Why don't you kind of give, in layman's terms, a kind of overview of what carbon markets are for our listeners and how it differs to kind of carbon offsets or things like that? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, basically, the carbon carbon market, you can say, is basically made up of carbon offsets, right? So we'll talk about a number of things. A credit represents a... Kilo, a, 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 a kilogram, or sorry, a ton of carbon avoided, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, and the avoided, it's all in the avoided part. It could be that it was uh, captured by a newly planted tree. It could be that it was captured by a tree that you kept around, mm-hmm. avoided your deforestation. There's a number of uh, sort of classifications. And then, you know, I mentioned the parties to this market. There are the standards owners, so I'm talking about people like Vera, uh, Gold Standard, and we're talking also about the voluntary carbon market. There's an entire other carbon market called the Global Compliance Market, which is approximately, I would say 200 times bigger. Wow. It's, it's much, much, much bigger. Um, but uh, both of them, I mean, they operate in somewhat similar ways. It's just that at the end of the day, in one of them, they're heavily regulated, and um, in the other, they are not. They're mm-hmm. kind of self-policing. And so going back to it, you have your standards owners, then you also have other people who are verifiers. They are either employed directly by the standards owners or that's outsourced to a local group. So sometimes we've seen cooperatives, you know, community-based you know, uh, land trusts, people like that who are on the ground who are employed to go and verify some of these things. And then you have uh, corporations who are, you know, polluters for the most part, who are interested in purchasing offsets credits to say, hey, we are legally required or we're not. We actually just have a net zero commitment and we want and we know how much we emit. No, <laughs> that's also a difficult thing to point to sort of figure out. Yeah. Um, and so because we, we claim that we emitted this much, we're going to buy this other amount of credits on the open market and the voluntary car market. And then you have project developers. These are the people who build uh, various projects of different types. There's about four or five major types. So. You can go out there and you can turn um, you can turn coal into um, biochar. There's there's that's one of the major methodologies. Is basically how do we take all leftover burnt stuff and and capture it with uh, put it somewhere where it can capture carbon and hopefully have it do it for a long time. That's mm-hmm. called permanence. And then um, there are other folks who are using thing. There's a group. There's a number of groups working on something called enhanced rock weathering, which is just taking basalt rocks, spreading them on fields. Uh, making them wet and when they are wet they absorb carbon dioxide then we use those rocks to regenerate um, agricultural basically uh, regenerative agriculture farms stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, and then 
what you can do is there's, there's also nature-based solutions, which is where all the controversy is right now. That's tree planting, yeah. right? And so there's a lot of variables there too. You can do a monoculture, you can do a native indigenous culture, you can do a bunch of things here. Um, and then there's avoided deforestation, which basically you're saying, hey, there's this national park, there's a crap ton of trees here, we're gonna protect them, we're gonna make sure they don't get cut down. And by doing that, they're gonna capture this much carbon. And uh, this is one of the things that ends up being a little contentious because this this was the primary focus of that article um, in, in some ways, because people, um, there's a number of other providers in this supply chain, right? In this value chain of carbon, one of them, it's one group that provides monitoring, um, reporting and verification technologies, right? And so these, this is MRV, and there are a couple, the claim from these articles is that people were basically, nobody's incentivized to retract credits from the market. So when they observe things in satellites and go, hey, those, those trees aren't there anymore. <laughs> people are like, hey, shut up, just move the polygon over here, <laughs> right? Like, really? And we'll just pretend that the trees are still there, <laughs> right? So um, this is, this is that, this is, you know, this is the activity that's worst, right? I'm not saying people did this. This is just like, you know, people wonder why the polygons change, right? And so mm -hmm. I'm not accusing anyone of crimes here, just kind of summary or summarizing quickly, you know, go out there and read the Guardian Post and the original documents yourself. You'll kind of see like, that's kind of the picture that's forming, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, those are the car market players. We're not only concerned the car markets, there's a lot more than carbon that's important, but that's just kind of the carbon market rundown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you guys are also, I mean, refi, regenerative finance is a big focus for you and carbon markets kind of goes within that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like for us, you know, just to give you the regenerative finance thing, mm -hmm. I don't really know if this thing will be around in a year or so, right? This is a new movement. Um, what it really is just trying to do is make uh, the economy pay its full rent if you want to put it that way, right? Because there are a lot of, uh, since we had the division into the public-private sphere of ownership, you know, property rights, uh, there are large actors, states, there are other large actors, private landowners, corporations, what have you, who have certain rights that ride along with their property. The problem with that is that no one is really incentivized to have common ownership around the externalities that result from economic activity. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can regulate them. So I'm not saying they're not, they're not, you know, you're in the EU, a lot of these things are regulated, right? But it'd be even better if you could build a system that does what a lot of the EU parliamentary members and all, and all the folks who talk about circular economies and what have you actually understood what are the inputs and outputs of the economy and how do we make them legible to not maybe even a central actor, just a number of people who could say, hey, there's a gigantic amount of plastic runoff in this part of the economy. Can we incentivize the creation of, you know, a, a organisms that, that remediate it? Can we uh, find funding for those things? Can we close that loop, right? Mm -hmm. So regenerative finance is really all about saying, how do we make a more circular economy? How do we price externalities? And how do we make sure that anyone who's building products, taking them to market, doing all the things that an economy does, pays for its full impact on the economy, on the air we breathe, on the water, we, on the fresh water we depend on, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned uh, the controversies. Uh, there's obviously a lot going on in America as well um, against kind of ESGs. Um, yeah. Is that, so are you concerned about this and how is this affecting what you do? 
Uh, I'm not terribly concerned about it because I think that like uh, America, yes, in some ways it does like it does set the, it does make the weather as they say, right? Okay. Like it it kind of sets the tone for the world in a lot of ways. I think it's going to catch up to ESG. Honestly, there's just a small cabal of right wing. Um, I don't want to insult all of them, but <laughs> there's a small cabal of. Uh, um, right-wing savants who who are very you know heap scorn upon ESG would have you and look here's the thing I actually in many ways agree with them because I think that if an ESG movement is top-down led by capital only it will not end up doing the things it should Mm -hmm. and I think that's a problem however I don't think that any of the people who criticize this are doing it out of good faith. They're not interested in reducing emissions. They're not interested in an environmental environmental degradation. They're not interested in the biodiversity crisis. They just want to make sure that business can control and goes on as usual, right? So Mm -hmm. I basically don't pay any of those criticisms of mine because I don't think they're in good faith, right? Mm -hmm. However, for people who are interested in good faith critiques of ESG, there are plenty, right? Like one is that the G is maybe, in my opinion, the most important one, and it is the least thought about, in my opinion, right? When you start yeah. to look at the ESG frameworks out there, it's like, oh, well, G, like, is your, um, for, for, for the G in ESG, uh, is, your, is your board half right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and all what have you. It's like, it doesn't really get at the core incentives of the principal agent problems of boards and companies, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, like you, and what I mean by this specifically is that you're seeing in the U.S., which is why I think the U.S., I still have hope for it, is um, very recently they just basically made it legal for you to sue board members directly mm-hmm. for things like environmental degradation and labor rights abuses. That I think is really important because it addresses the principal agent problem. You can't just write it off and be like, oh yeah, whatever, Like, let's just go do that thing that everyone knows is bad and I'm on the board, I don't care, I'm shielded from the company's uh, by, by, by limited yeah. liability, no you're not. <laughs> right? So I think like things like that are important. and. Um, and I think that ESG, while it maybe is having a bit of a crisis moment, I think it needs to change for sure. And I think it needs to focus more on um, incorporating more people with more voice and more um, uh, not just, you know, not just voice. Like they need to be able to actually, uh, for us, you know, as a fund, we think about net new demand. We think about net new supply, right, for mm-hmm. carbon credits, eco credits and net new demand. Are we originating are we making a clear case, a trusted, audible case for purchasing these credits and will people come to them? Will corporations come and do that? The third one for us is really important when you talk about impact is how much of that money goes to the hands of the people who are actually doing the work, mm-hmm. right? And um, I'm kind of going around here, but I'll give you an example. Um, one of the major players in the space is South Pole. South Pole is a carbon project developer and one of the biggest. And there was a recent study done on, I think it was a group, you can, I can send you the right study for it afterwards, but they were looking at a project of South Poles, I believe in Paraguay. And in Paraguay, what they had done was basically they had issued something like 440, no, 40 million credits or something for an avoided deforestation project. And when they went and kind of ran the numbers, I'm not even going to get into the other controversies on the polygons, when they just ran the numbers on like, what were the co-benefits? Co-benefits is stuff like, uh, creating jobs for women, biodiversity, um, increase, all this kind of stuff. What were the co-benefits on the payments to the landowners and workers side of approximately half a billion dollars, uh, that revenue that that project put out? Mm-hmm. About 110K went to the hands of the people on the ground. So we think that's like a shame, yeah. right? Like it's just yeah. embarrassing. And so, um, so for us, we think that this is a key part of what we're talking about here is making sure that there's governance and economics 
that ride along with a lot of the systems that are being built here in Web3. And so we are seeing better numbers than that, by the way, on chain through things like Toucan Protocol, Region Network, um, all these other people who are, you know, actually closing deals with people like Microsoft. There, you're seeing there something like 20 to 43% of the money ending up in the hands of the people who actually do the work, um, who have the land, who are scraping together the people to do the nature-based solutions themselves, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, everything that you guys do, and I remember seeing you talk at East Barcelona, I was kind of very, very hopeful after hearing what you said and what there is a possibility to do. Um, I know we don't have that much time, so I'm just going to ask you a couple more questions. Uh, What's one piece of advice that you have received that you would give to someone else? Oh, that's a good one. You know, it's funny. uh, I think it goes back to one of your questions when you're like, what if you decide you want to focus your life on VC investment? Mm -hmm. Honestly, I haven't. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows if I'll be doing this in 10 years? But I think like... uh, one piece of advice that I'd give someone else, man, I'd say like always be open to, always be open to change. That's been the one key thing in my life, right? Like when mm-hmm. you decide, oh, you want to focus your life on this, that, and the other, I'm like, eh, hey, that's, that's right now, right? And, and I came to this from technology. I was working in that for, you know, seven to 10 years. And then I was like, wait a minute, like this isn't the real problem, right? And, and if you were fortunate, you know, the one piece of advice I'd give you that if you are fortunate to be born in a Western country or one of these, you know, quote unquote developed countries, do not just go work for some technology company that, you know, moves numbers from one spreadsheet to another or puts out another form solution or something, please. <laughs> like we, we almost have, a, I'd say you have a responsibility to achieve something better than that for yourself. And, you know, climate right now is a really great place to be. It's $35 billion of new funds raised in 2022 for earmarked for climate investment, there's going to be an absolute ton of new jobs, ton of new interventions. We don't know if this stuff is going to work, but why work on forums when you could, you know, CRMs or something, when, yeah. you can just come, when you can actually do something like this, especially if you were lucky to be born, been born in one of the places like the US or, you know, the UK, what have you, like I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to end it with a careful question. Uh, who do you admire the most and why? Oh, well, that's a good <laughs> question. Who do I admire the most and why? Just only think about this one. Who do I admire? Honestly, um, hmm, man, this is a hard one. You know, actually, I admire, I admire people who come from plenty and who realized that either they didn't do anything to earn it or that they should be doing, they should blaze their own path. And so like, you know, one person I think to in this regard, one of my favorite people, he's a, he was a late 19th century naturalist, Peter Kaprotkin, uh, evolutionary biologist before there was one, um, and was able, made really keen insights, discovered really keen insights on cooperation in bio and in, in amongst animals that persist to this day. He was born a prince, right? And wow. in the and in the course of his life, he renounced all of his titles, realized how absolutely brutish it is to be royal, and uh, and became a scientist and basically uh, worked in solidarity with people who were, you know, ostensibly not princely for the rest of his life. I really admire that people who have that kind of self awareness and reflexivity and go, I'm not just going to talk about it; I'm going to do it, right? I really admire people like that. Mm-hmm. I am with you on that one. Um, how can people get a hold of you? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Against Utopia, and you can message me and ask me what it means. I'm happy to tell you what the Twitter <laughs> handle means. <laughs> but uh, uh, if, you, if you message me or what have you, and you can also find me on LinkedIn at Jahed Moment. Uh, I do a lot of link. Are we allowed to cuss in this podcast? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do a lot of LinkedIn shit posting, so you you can see me there. I've been loving this very controversy. If you find me there, so. If you're interested, if you're curious, find me there. Happy to chat with you. Yeah, I follow you and I enjoy your posts a lot. So <laughs> thank you. Keep doing it. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And yeah, have Same a good rest of your day. As always. As always, you can reach out and chat with me on my personal LinkedIn or Twitter at Izzy Castro Writes. That's spelled I-Z-Y. But for access to great daily content, check out Fintech Nexus on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also sign up for our daily newsletter, bringing news straight to your inbox. For more Fintech podcast fun, check out the website, where you can find more fascinating conversations hosted by Peter Renton and Todd Anderson. That's it from me. Until next time, enjoy your downtime.